I'll ask you to um, open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. We'll be uh, picking up right there where we left off last week in verses 12 through 18. Uh, but this is like the ninth or tenth message in this series on joy unspeakable. The book of Philippians is considered that. Many would call it the, the, the joy book. It's a book about joy. But what we're learning as we're studying this is not really, the book itself is not about joy. Joy is the byproduct that we get from what we learn in this book. And what we learn in this book, a couple of things we've already learned in way of review is that chapter one, Paul talks to us about having the single mind. And that's a mind that is set on Christ. And if we do that, there's, there's joy in that. We're not, we're not divided in our devotion. We're not divided in our thoughts. But we have a single mind, a mind that is set on Christ. And that brings joy. Then we get into chapter 2. And Paul is telling us in chapter 2 to have the submissive mind. And that's having not just, uh, not just um, having the mind set on Christ, but having the actual mind of Christ. That our attitude should be like his and we should, you know, we should be like him. Um, there in chapter 2, verse 5, it says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So we should have the mind like Christ, the mind of Christ. And in order to do that, we need to understand what his mindset was. And so we saw that in the example of Jesus Christ as, as the, the humble one, that he came in the form of a man. He, he humbled himself even to the point of death on the cross. He humbled himself. So verses 1 through 11, we see the example there of the submissive mind. And Jesus and God has never asked us to, Jesus never asked us to do anything that he didn't do. He doesn't ask us to do something that would be impossible for us. He modeled the submissive mind. He submitted to the will of the Father, and he submitted and humbled himself all the way to the point of death. And because he did, there's hope for us for salvation today. So that's where we're at in chapter 2. We have the single mind in chapter 1. We have the submissive mind in chapter 2. And we just saw the example of Christ. And we got to chapter uh, 2, verse 12 and 13 last week. And I just want to hit those real quick. It says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not, not, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, we, we talked about last week, Paul was not saying work for your salvation. He's not contradicting his theology in other places. He says, work out your own salvation. What he's saying is, as a believer, now there's things to do. It isn't, when we got saved, that wasn't the end. That's just the beginning. That's just the start of this thing. And, 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 and so we're to work out our salvation. We're to live out our faith. But verse 13 says, for it is God who works in you. So God is working in us both to will, to want to, and to do. It is God as believers that God, the Holy Spirit of God, is working within us. He's working in us that then we work out our salvation. God works in, we work out our salvation. Psalm 37, verse 4 and 5 really captures this. We looked at this again last week, but it says, Delight yourselves, delight yourself also in the Lord, and He shall give you the desires of your heart. So we are to delight in Him as we, as we have the single mind, a mind that is set and focused on Christ. We have that, then, we have, then we're delighting. And to delight in the Lord is to seek your joy and your happiness, your contentment, your fulfillment, all of those things, your purpose, everything. We should be seeking to, that to be fulfilled in our relationship with Christ. We're delighting in Him. So delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. And what that means is He changes your want-tos. He changes your want-tos. He, he takes the, the desires He has for you, the desires of your heart. He gives those to you. 
so that the things we used to want to do don't mean anything to us anymore. Now we want to do what he wants us to do because he's changed our want to's. But here's what's awesome. The next verse says, commit your way to him. This is the working out. So we delight in the Lord. We have the mind of Christ. We humble ourselves, and, and He changes our want-tos. Then as we commit our way to the Lord, as we work out our salvation and trust also in Him, and the verse says, and He shall bring it to pass. God doesn't put a desire in your heart and then say, ha, now I'm not going to give you that. He doesn't, he doesn't call someone and put a burden in their heart to be a missionary and then tell them they can't go. You know, there's, 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 uh, it's the way the Lord works. So we delight in Him. And uh, he changes our want-tos, then we commit our ways to him, we trust in him, and he brings it to pass. So as we focus on Christ, the delighting in him, he changes our want-tos, gives us the desires of a heart, and as we commit, then he works out through us. He works out. He works out our faith as we work, as we're faithful to him, and as we're obedient to do what it is he tells us to do. And so that's kind of where we, we stopped off last week. Now the next verse, verse 14, Paul says this. He says, do, do all things... Without complaining and disputing. Whoa. <laughs> Sorry, guys. That's a, that's a, that, you read that verse, if you really take that verse, and, and you, when you read that, you, we, we ought to all go, ooh. I mean, most of us, most of us at some point or another, we're complaining, we're disputing, we're griping, we're murmuring. We got a problem with something. Everything's not everything's always rosy, but we we can easily get there, right? And so Paul says, do all things. He didn't say do most things or some things or a few things. He says, do all things without complaining and disputing. Now, the word without there, I want you to understand what this means. It means separately. So do all things separately from complaining and disputing. It's apart from or without. Uh, it, suggests this, it suggests isolation. So what Paul is saying is, is that believers are to be isolated from complaining and disputing. Now, what does that really mean? Complaining. Let's look at complaining first. Well, the word complaining means this, grumbling, grudging, Murmuring. Murmuring will be a biblical word we understand. We go back to, and we'll look at that in just a moment. We go back to the Old Testament. There was a lot of murmuring among the children of Israel. So that word complaining is this, it's, it's, it's murmuring. It's sometimes complaining under your breath, sometimes complaining so everybody can hear you. But it's, it's complaining. That's what this is, this murmuring. But disputing is, is the Greek word dialogismos. Uh, di, um, di, now, does that sound like, it probably doesn't sound like any word you've ever heard coming from a Georgia boy. Dia, dialogismos, dialogismos. What does that word sound like? Dialogue, right? So the word means this. It, that word for disputing is, it, we could probably, if we transliterate it, it would be a very good description. It's a dialogue and it's discussion. And so the definition, we're talking about discussion internally. So it's, it's you're disputing with what's going on or what's, what, whatever it is you're disputing that's going on internally. But it's not just internally because externally it gets into debate gets into debating something, gets into disputing, being doubtful, uh, reasoning, reasoning and thought are in this. So there's some disputing with whatever this is. And, and Paul is telling us, do all things without this complaining and without this disputing. Paul here is probably, now, now you, if you read different commentators, you're going to get different takes on this. There's a couple of things that I see that I believe Paul's doing here. The first is that I believe he's probably referring to the complaining and disputing of the children of Israel following the exodus from, from Egypt. What did they do? They complained and they disputed. All along the way, they did that. Now, when God brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, out of slavery, was he working in their lives? Yes or no? 
Okay, this is interactive part. It, it, was he working in their lives? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. God was working in their lives. He didn't bring them out just to take them out in the wilderness and let them die. Right. He brought them out to free his children from the bonds of slavery, from the, the, the wickedness. And now understand this too: Egypt. When we talk about Egypt in this, Egypt is a picture of sin. When we talk about going back into Egypt or something like that, there's this idea of going back into sin or embracing sin. They were, in a sense, in sin. God called them out. He brought them out of there. He, he, he saved them through the blood, the Passover, right? He, he's going to take them through the waters, of, like baptism, as they go through the Red Sea. And, and so God is working in their life. You've got to understand that. Was he working for their good? Yes. What point? At what point in the journey... From there to going in the promised land was God not working in their lives for good. Never, right? So we understand that. God was always working in life. Now, we have the benefit of seeing this. We read the scriptures. We see it looking back. We see everything. There's things that are clear to us. Wouldn't have been clear to them. But just like things aren't clear to us today, we're not exempt from trusting God. Amen? They needed to understand that. They needed to embrace There was a lack of faith there. He was working in their lives always. God was working for them, and yet they griped and complained and argued and disputed every step along the way. Nothing was ever to their liking. It didn't matter. They just, this was a stiff-necked, stubborn, grumbling people, kind of like, I don't know, First Baptist Geneva. I'm not being ugly. I'm just, you know what? We're a lot like them, aren't we? We, we, we don't always want to point the finger at somebody else. And when we point the finger at them, there's three pointing back at me, you know. So I, I go, okay, yeah, them people, how could they ever act like that? And I go, oh, wait, I was acting like that just yesterday. Um, so nothing was ever to their liking. So Paul, Paul here, I believe, is warning the Philippians not to do the same as God is working in their lives. You know, God was working in their lives. And he tells the Philippians, look, don't be griping and complaining and murmuring as God is working in your lives. And he's warning us as well about complaining and disputing about the work of God in our lives. Now, as, as we start this, I want you to think about, I want you to put something aside, because some of you, first thing, when I just said that, you went, well, I don't argue when God's working in my life. I don't argue and dispute. Yeah, if I find a $100 bill on the sidewalk, I never argue and dispute that, Right. But maybe there's a, a hard time that comes in life. Maybe there's a difficult situation. And what do we often say? God, where are you? God, wh why did you abandon me in this? Why, why are you not here now? And that's kind of what Paul is warning them against, is that as Paul, we see God is working in so that he can work out, right? He's working in their life so he can work out through their life. And yet if he's working in our lives and then we argue with it, we complain about it, that's what he's giving them warning. We don't know what God knows. Amen. We don't know what he knows. And we must trust God in every situation and know that he is with us. He has, hasn't forsaken us, and he is working in and for and through us. we got to know that, that he is working in our lives. Um, scripture said I, he, he's never, never uh, forsaken us. Never, not once. So murmuring, here's what happens. Murmuring arises from discontentment. So when we're discontented about something, and it may be that we're discontented with our circumstances, could be that someone seems to be getting ahead of us, uh, or, or things just aren't going, you know, as we, as we planned. Yeah, I'll raise my hand, I've been guilty. Where I, where I think, God, this is what you're doing, this is what I think you're doing, this is what you should be doing, and something else is going on, and I go, God, didn't you hear me? This is, this is over here, oh. Here, God, over here. This is what we're doing. This is what we're doing, God. He says, mm, mm -mm, mm -mm. 
So when things don't go the way we planned, and, and as a result of that, we murmur, we grumble, we complain, okay? Because it didn't go the way we thought it should. And murmuring is one of the internal attitude sins that grieves the Holy Spirit so much. It's, it, it can easily overtake us if we're not careful. And, and you know what? Sometimes we can even grow bitter in our, in our walk with God because things didn't go the way we, we thought they should, Okay? And that's kind of what Paul's warning against. So the murmuring of the children of Israel was an exhibition of their carnality. And it's the opposite of the Christ-likeness that God was seeking to develop for his people. So I want to look back at their behavior. Some of you have read through this. Some of you know all this story about the children of Israel and how they responded. But I want to go back and look at this. If Paul is saying that indeed, you know, don't, don't be like the children of Israel, the way they, they murmured and they complained, they disputed. Then, then let's look back at that. So here they are. They escaped the captivity of Egypt. And what's the the next thing that they do? The next thing they do is murmur. He frees them. They come to the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea. The Red Sea. They come to the Red Sea. They're there. They're trapped here. And Pharaoh's got his armies. And they're closing in on them from behind. Now they're trapped. And what do they do? First thing they do. They don't go, God just freed us from there. He's going to provide here. No. The first thing they did was they complained. They stand before the Red Sea, not trusting God to provide a way of escape, and they murmured. And they said in, in Exodus 14, it says, because, because there were no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Don't that just make you want to throat punch somebody? You've just seen God do something great in your life, and now the first thing you want to do is complain that, but that God, why did you take us out here? Were there no graves in Egypt? You, just, that's, you hear the sarcasm? The, the, just the disdain in that in that. In that right, the scripture captures it. The murmuring when they came, they murmured when they came to Mara and were thirsty. And the people complained against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? They don't try. They've, now they've come through the Red Sea. He parted the Red Sea. And you get to one place where they don't see water. And what do they do? They complain. What are we going to drink? What, we, what shall we drink? You mean the God who parted the Red Sea and allowed millions of people to walk through there on dry ground and then defeated the enemies from Egypt with the waters closing back in? When that happened, you, you saw that happen. You walked through those waters, and now you're questioning, what are we going to drink? You don't trust God enough that if he can part the waters, he can provide the waters? They didn't trust. They murmured when they came to the wilderness of sin and were hungry. Exodus 16, 2. Then the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said to them, Oh, that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt. When we sat by the... Now listen to this. They were slaves in Egypt. They were slaves. They were under heavy burdens in Egypt. But listen to their memory here. When we sat by the pots of meat and when we ate bread to the full... For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Boy, they sure make slavery in Egypt sound good, don't they? They never knew. Boy, they just didn't know how good they had it in Egypt. It was so wonderful back there. They had freedom. They had all these nice things to eat, drink. They just sat around the pot of meat cooking, and they just ate till their bellies were full. That's what they're remembering. I think their memory's a little messed up. Amen? I know others have, you know, sometimes our memory's a little messed up. The Israelites scolded Moses at Rephidim when they were thirsty in Exodus 17, verse 3. It says, and the people thirsted for, for, there for water. And the people complained against Moses and said, Why is it you have brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? And then when Moses stayed so long on the mountain, they complained and forced Aaron to make them a golden calf. 
Boy, they're right back into the idolatry of Egypt, right back into the sin. Things didn't go. They thought Moses should have been back sooner. Moses ain't come back sooner. What do they do? They get Aaron and force him, force him. I don't think they had to force him real hard if you read it there. Um, but he makes this golden calf for them to worship. So this is your God. And they worship there. How quickly they turn back. Numbers 11, 4 through 6 records how God's people complained about the manna. Numbers uh, 11, 4 says now, the mixed multitude when, who were among them yielded to intense craving. So the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish which we ate freely in Egypt, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. Now I get it when you're hungry. Listen, I was in Tajikistan for three weeks. When I got back into a Turkish airport, we found a Burger King. There's never been anything so good as that stinking Burger King hamburger. It was, it was amazing. That's what they're doing. They're reminiscing about, oh, just how good the food was. It was so wonderful. But instead of trusting God where they're at, they're complaining that they're not where they were. And they're free now. Verse 6, but now our whole being is dried up. There's nothing at all except this manna before our eyes. Boy, again, their memories of slavery to the Egyptians is amazing. They had it good down there. They, they, they had it made back there in Egypt. And they complained about the miraculous provision of food that God provided. They've seen miracle after miracle after miracle. And yet they just keep complaining because it ain't like they think it should be. They're not getting what they think they should have. And God's providing food for them every day, every day, miraculously providing food. And they complain. Even Aaron and Miriam found fault with Moses in Numbers 12, 1 and 2. Then the ten spies, they turned in a negative report about the promised land, and, and, and the Israelites murmured bitterly in, in, Exodus, in Numbers 14. And they sealed their fate to wander around in the desert till they died because they murmured against God. Numbers 14, 2, And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in the wilderness... Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword that our wives and children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? And again, think about God has promised to bring them into the promised land. And those spies went in not to bring back a report about whether we can win it or not. They were simply to go and scope out the land and bring it so they would know what was there, how they could face it. And the ten, the ten bad reports, those ten evil spies, really, they bring a negative report. They complain, oh, we can never defeat them. They're giants. But here they're complaining about they don't have the food they want to eat, but it's all right there in the promised land that God has already promised them. It's promised. All you got to do is go take it. He's promised to take you in there and you'll be victorious. But no, they complain and they gripe and they dispute and they want to go back to where it was. And they, they well, you know, we, we should have, it would have been better just to die in the desert. You brought us here to die by the sword. All right, you hear it? You got to read it in color. You got to see it because they're just whining. And it's the opposite of a few weeks ago, we did the, the plow service. What they're doing is the absolute opposite of putting your hand to the plow and not looking back. They didn't abandon the plow. They're looking back with longing to go back into Egypt. It's, 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 it's amazing. Then Korah, Dathan, and Abiram disputed with Moses in number 16. And when God's judgment fell on them, all the congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and against Aaron in, in number 16.41. On the next day, all the congregation of the children of Israel murmur, murmured against Moses and Aaron saying, You have killed the people of the Lord. 
So when God judged those, those, those folks who were, who, who were disputing with Moses, when God judged them and killed them, that now, they're, now they're, they're upset that that happened. And they're, and they're mad at Moses again. They're just con- constantly mad and griping about every step of the way. The Israelites complained at uh, Meribah Kadesh, Numbers 20, verse 1 through 5. Well, I'll pick up at verse 2, Numbers 20, verse 2. Now, there was no water for the congregation, so they gathered together against Moses and Aaron. Here it is again, no water. So what are they doing? They're complaining. Now, God has provided water. He's provided food. He brought them out of Egypt. He took them through the Red Sea. They've seen miracle after miracle after miracle. And yet, here they are again. They're thirsty. So what are they doing? Instead of trusting God, they're complaining. And the people contended. They contended with Moses and spoke, saying, If only we had died when our, uh, when our brethren died before uh, the Lord. Why have you brought us uh, up the assembly of the Lord into this, <clears throat> this wilderness that we and our animals should die here? And why have you made us come up out of Egypt to bring us to this evil place? Evil place? Wow. This is not a place of grain or figs or vines or pomegranates, nor is there any water to drink. Well, you could have had all that, but you didn't trust God. You complained and griped. You want to go back to Egypt instead of going and take the promised land that had been promised to you and given to you. God promised you was going to have it. They drove Moses to the point where he lost his temper and then he lost his hope of leading them into the better life in Canaan. Because Moses was so frustrated with them, he was supposed to go out and speak to the rock and he hid it twice. Because he didn't trust God to do it God's way, then he lost. Now, they've gotten to him. What a shame. Finally, in Numbers 21, verse 5, the Holy Spirit exposed the twin sins of murmuring and disputing for what they were. He says there in verse 5, it says, The people spoke against God and against Moses. The Lord sent fire serpents to chastise the people of Israel for their sins in verses 5 and 6. And they murmured. That's complained. They, they murmured. They complained and disputed about everything. Now again, who brought them out of Egypt? God did. Moses didn't. Moses led them, but Moses was just an instrument in God's hand. God brought them out. Moses couldn't do anything without God's power. Amen? Amen. So God did. God brought them out. Who was leading them to the promised land? Who was providing for their every need? God was. Was God working in their lives? At any moment in there, had he he abandoned them or forsaken them? At at any moment? Never. Never. Not even for a moment. They complained and they disputed and they wanted to return to their old life in Egypt, to slavery. In, in reality, they wanted to return to sin. You know, and it happens sometimes when we, when we go to complaining. You know, we can do the same thing. We can p- complain about the way it is right now. It's almost like, well, my life before Christ was better because, God, you're not taking care of me. You're not doing what I, what I thought you were supposed to do. Because it didn't go like they hoped or like they thought it should go. They complained. They murmured and they griped. So Paul wanted the Philippian believers to keep their eyes on the Lord and guard their hearts against complaining and disputing. That's what he's telling them. And and so don't complain. Don't dispute about what God is doing in your lives. Don't complain about that. Trust. Obey. Remain faithful. Keep your eyes on the Lord, not on the problems or challenges or struggles or tribulation or temptations. You keep your eyes on God. The the Israelites, they didn't have their eyes on God. They had their eyes on everything else. We only have water. So that situation got so big, they couldn't see Almighty God. 
because he was so little in their eyes. They didn't trust him. They didn't believe he could do that after seeing all those miracles. And we think, wow, if we saw God do all those miracles, we'd just walk with God. We'd never doubt. But folks, we've seen God work miracles in our life again and again and again and again. And yet, yet we still struggle and we doubt. Paul's, Paul's saying, look, church, don't do that. Don't dispute with God. Don't complain about what he's doing in your life. When they complained, they were complaining against God, the, the, the children of Israel. They weren't complaining. When they went to Moses and griped, they really weren't complaining to Moses because Moses didn't do it. God did. So everything that was going on was God's work in their life. So when they complained about it or to Moses, they're really complaining about God, about what he's doing. Church, we have to be careful when we complain against things in our lives because we may very, be, may very well be complaining against the work that God is doing in our lives. We understand that in that story, there's nowhere in there where God was not with them and was not working for them. Now, would it be any different for us today? It is no different for us today. If you're a child of God, if you've been born again, He's working in your life. Philippians 1 6, we, we read this back earlier a few weeks ago. It says, Being confident in this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it unto the day of Jesus Christ. Does that sound like a wishy washy statement? Does that sound like an iffy statement? No, it's a promise. Be confident, Paul says. Be confident of this thing that he, God, has begun this work in you. He saved your soul. That's just the beginning. And he will work in you, he will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. How long has God promised to work in our lives? Until the day of Jesus Christ. Until we die or we're raptured up out of here, that He is working in us, in our lives. He's working around us. He's working for us. He's trying to work through us. Amen? You got it? Hebrews 13, 5. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For He Himself has, has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We've got the promise there in 1.6 that, that he's going to work on us. He's going to be working and, 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 and that the working you will uh, com- complete it. He will. Uh, he who began again working us will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ, which means he's not going to stop working until, until we either die or we're raptured out. He's going to keep working. And, and Hebrews 13.5 tells us that he'll never leave us and never forsake us. That's a promise from God. Do we trust God? If we trust him, then we got to trust him all the time. We, we say this, God is good. Well, how much of the time? the time? Any of the time he's not good? So we say all the time, all, uh, you know, God is good. All and all the time? Yeah, until something bad happens. <laughs> and, then we, and then we don't say that. I, had a, I, had a, uh, I knew a pastor who used to say this. Everything rises and falls on leadership. Said that a lot. He said that on the way as things were growing and things were booming and things were going really, really good. He didn't say that anymore when things were going bad and going down and the church was dying off. Everything rises and falls on leadership. You know, it's growing because of my leadership. Uh, hmm. Folks, we're so quick. We're so quick to get our eyes off of God. Romans 8, 28, and we know that all things, all things work together for good. All things, not some things, not most things, not just the good things, but all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. Now, what are these all things that God's working? It's everything in our lives, folks. You know, I've said this before. Understand this. If something touches your life, it either came through the hand of God or from the hand of God. 
There's nothing in your life that touches you that he didn't allow. He either allowed it or he brought it. One or the other. Sometimes trying to figure out which it is. But you know what? We know regardless, God's using it. God is using it. He's working through whatever that is in your life right now, good or bad. He's using it for your good. And what is that? Verse 29, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. That's God's plan for us. As a child of God, he wants us to be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus. That's what he's doing in our lives. You know, Moses went out. Moses went out before he went back and God called him with the burning bush and sent him back into Egypt to pull the children of Israel out. He spent 40 years in the desert as a shepherd. 40 years. I thought Moses was pretty smart, but he might have been kind of dense because it took 40 years for God to get him ready to go do what he wanted him to do. I'm being facetious there. But the fact is, we don't know when things are going on in our life. We don't know what it is. We don't see everything. God hasn't rolled out the the scroll so that we see what's coming. We don't understand why this is going on and why it's lingering for years and why we're we're, we're having to struggle or suffer through this for all this time. We don't see that. But you know what we can do? We can trust God. We can know that He's working in it and through it. We can trust Him. We can obey Him. We keep our hand on the plow. We keep plowing straight. We don't look back. We don't question. We don't complain. We don't grumble. don't dispute. We trust God. James 1.12, my brother, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If we're going to be mature, we have to go through these things. We don't, we don't think about it, think about it. When everything's just going super good for you, it's just wonderful, everything's just, just perfect, do you grow spiritually in those times as much as you grow in the times where, man, it just seems like everything's against you. There's struggles. There's problems. You know what happens? See, we, we go back. When, the, when those things hit, what do we tend to do? We go back to the Lord. We get on our face before Him, and we call out to Him. We draw near to Him because we, 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 we need His help. And when everything's just going wonderfully, we, we have an, a propensity to be very self Sufficient, right? Well, I don't need anything. It's good. God, you, you know, you stand, you stay on standby. You know, get something I can't handle. I'll let you know. But I, I got this right now. You just, you just hang, hang on, Lord. Hang on, hang, hang on. Now you go. Well, I don't act like that, but yet our attitude really, we do act like that a lot. We get, we get apathetic with the Lord. We get, we get very casual with the Lord. We get very, you know, casual in our walk because things are going great. But man, when things happen, bad things come along. Struggles come along, it draws us back to God. And God uses that when we allow Him to work in us and it grows us and matures us like right here. Let, let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. And so we get our verse over here on the wall. Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Well, I'm going to tell you what, if you're complaining and griping and disputing, you're not doing that to the glory of God. Because what you're doing is not glorifying Him. I mean, in fact, we're, we're, we're doing like the children of Israel. We're griping against His work in our life. We're, we're, we're complaining about what God is doing in us and through us and for us. We're complaining about the things He's using to grow us, to conform us to His Son, Jesus. And so what we ought to do, if we're going we're gonna to do all to the glory of God, you know what? we got to do that without complaining and without disputing. Do all without complaining or disputing. And if you are complaining and disputing, we're not submitting to the work God is doing in us. 
So we're going to have the mind of Christ, and then we got to have, you know, we're going to have that, that single mind. And when we get here in this chapter, Paul's talking about having a submitted mind. And man, if we're going to submit ourselves, it's talking about humility. And it's just, it's just putting ourselves before the Lord. Then I, I use an illustration because I sometimes want to use other people's illustration, but, you know, I'm in, I'm in the uh, fifth week of this stuff in my head. I have not, and I, I, am, I have no intention. If this goes on for five years, I'm not going to question God. Lord, clear it up or don't. You, you have your way. There's something he wants to teach me. There's something he wants to grow me in through this. So I'm like, Lord, what do you want me to learn? And I've learned some things. And as, we, as we go through situations in our lives and we seek God and ask him, Lord, what are you doing? Show me. Show me. Help me. Help me to learn what it is. And you know what? We may go 10 years and not know. We may go 20 years and know. Moses went 40 years out in the fields, out there being a shepherd. He had to learn. He had to learn. He, he was shepherding sheep so he could go shepherd dumb, stubborn sheep. Amen? So God prepared him for that. So we need to just trust the Lord in, in whatever we have, whatever's going on. Do all without complaining and disputing. Why? Verse 15. That, or so that, you may become. And he's saying that you may become because you're not already there. And when, we, when we're born again, when we first get saved, we, 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 you know, we're here. Now, we're, we're saved as we're ever going to be. But we're not as sanctified as we're ever going to be, right? So here we are, we get saved, and then the work of sanctification comes. And all through our life, God is making us more like Jesus. So we're sanctified at salvation, but, but we are progressively being sanctified and becoming more and more like Christ. If we're, if we're letting God work in us, then He's bringing us closer to Him, more like Him, and we continue to grow. And ultimately, with our death or our rapture, we'll be... We'll be will be final. There will be the final sanctification where we will be like Him. We'll, be, we'll get the glorified body and all of that. The sin nature will be gone, all those things. But it doesn't end here. It starts here. And we're working through that. And, we're, and, and so He says, do this. Because if, if you do all things without complaining and disputing, then you're trusting me. You, you trust me in these things. You obey me in these things. You follow me in these things. You let me work. Let me do the work in your life that needs to be done. Don't play God in your life. Let me play God in your life. That's what he's saying. God says, I'm God. I'll do what needs to be done in your life. But you need to submit to that. Keep your eyes on Jesus with a single mind. Submit to Jesus with a submitted mind. That you may become. And that's to grow spiritually, to be more like Jesus. That you may become blameless and harmless. Now that word translated blameless, it literally means without reproach. Wow, that's, a, that's the place we want to be. We want to be with, above reproach. We don't want to be in a place where there are no handles in our life. I've, sh- I've shared before, like, you get a glass and, you know, you don't have any handles on a glass. So you got to get your hand around it. But a, a, a mug, man, you, it's got a handle on it. Somebody grab that handle. If you've got handles in your life, somebody can grab on those handles and they can pull you down. If there's something in your life that doesn't match up, your talk and your walk don't match up, you've got handles in your life. You're not living above reproach. And he's talking about our spiritual growth here. So to be blameless, to be with above reproach. The word for harmless, it, 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 the simple translation is this. It's simple. It just means simple. And it was used by the Greeks in everyday conversation to, re- to refer to metal that was unalloyed. You know, that means it's not mixed. It was metal that was pure. It was solid, whatever it was. It wasn't different metals mixed together. So it was simple. It was pure. 
It was also used to describe um, uh, uh, wine that was unmixed with water. So it was pure. It hadn't been cut down. It hadn't be, been diluted with water. It was pure. And that was the idea of this, this word simple. So in other words, harmless speaks to the real thing or authentic or that which is genuine. So it's, it, it, he's saying as we grow, as we, as we do all things without complaining and disputing, that we become, that we grow and we become blameless. We, we, we live a life that's above reproach and we become harmless. And, and that word is, is simple. We just become simple. And it means we're not divided. We're not mixed. We're not double-minded. We're not living with one foot in the world and one foot trying to serve God. We're committed to Him. It's simple. We're focused on Him. And when people look at us, that's what they're going to see. That you may become blameless and harmless, children of God without fault. Boy, that sounds like mature Christians. It's what Paul is telling us. He wants us to, to become mature Christians to grow. And we do that by not complaining and disputing and griping and working against what God is working in us. He works in us. We, we trust Him, and then it works out, and we become these children of God without fault. We're, we're, we're mature, and so the world sees that. We become children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among, among whom you shine as lights in the world. It makes, of course, think of Matthew 5, 16. Let your light so shine before men that may, they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Boy, if you're not walking with God, you're not, you're not loving God, you're not of a single mind, you're not of a submitted mind, you're not going to live a life that, that is shining, that is casting light into this dark world. Because the chances are we may not look a whole lot different than the world if we're not really submitted to Him. When a non-Christian sees a professing Christian at work or at home or in, in the community or wherever who is argumentative, hard to get along with, has worldly ambitions, conversation, and behavior, the unbeliever may form a poor opinion of Christianity. You know what? That happens every day. Happens every day. When a non-believer comes into a congregation of Christians who are fighting, complaining, and motivated by a carnal spirit, the unbeliever is not likely to stay around long. Most likely they'll say, I, 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 I don't see how these people are any different than the rest of us. And if they're not different, why, why, would, I, why would I go to church? Why would I give money to the church? Why would I come and serve in the church if they're no different than I am? I mean, I'm, I'm, I got all that they got, and I don't even have to do those things. You know what you got there? It's, it's, it's what the world around us says. Y'all don't go to church because of them hypocrites. The, the hypocrites. Well, we're all hypocrites in some way. I mean, we, I don't know if any of us truly live out everything we say we believe. We want to. We, we want to, but we're not perfect, and we fail. We, in our membership class that we started this morning, had some conversation about that, about the struggles sometimes that we have. That, man, I, I'm, I'm a believer, but then I'm, I do things I, sh I know I shouldn't do. And we're talking about Paul. Paul said... And I'm glad Paul, I'm glad it was recorded about Paul's attitude. And Paul was, was willing to say that. He wasn't, he didn't try to hide his weaknesses. Paul says, you know, sometimes I do what I don't want to do. Sometimes I don't do what I do want to do. Things I know I should do, I don't do. The things I know I shouldn't do, I do those things. What is this going on? There's a war inside. All right. So, but here's what we've got to do. We've got to submit to the work that God's doing in our life. Keep our eyes on him. We submit to that work. He works in us and we work out. And as we work out without complaining about what God's doing in our life, as he's working, we don't complain. We don't grumble. We don't argue with him. Why, God, why are you doing this? Can't you teach me some other way? 
Send me the book. I'll read it. As we do that, then we become, we grow more spiritual, harmless, blameless, without reproach, without being double-minded. And you know what? Then people see us and they go, man, there's something different. There's something different about that guy. Man, he doesn't act the way, he doesn't act the way others act. He, he doesn't do the things others do. We try to get him involved with sin or her involved with these things that we do because that's what sin does. You, know, you all know that. If you've been in a workplace with, with heathens, and we all have been. Sometimes you were the heathen and I was the heathen. We've been there. And, 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 and they want, they it's, it's misery loves company. So we want, oh, you say you're a Christian. No, it won't last. They told Jesse that. Jesse, you remember that? There were some guys when Jesse first went to work with, in con, doing some construction work, and they told him, oh, that, that, that won't last. That won't change. You're a Christian. All right, we'll see how long you keep doing that. And Jesse was like, yeah, we will see how long I keep doing that. Because Jesse said, I've got some integrity, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live for the Lord. I'm not going to do the things you do. I'm not going off and drinking and acting a fool. Don't be a hypocrite. Live it out. When Hobab, who was Moses' brother-in-law, came to visit the children of Israel in the wilderness, he saw a people redeemed by blood through the Passover, right? Gathered out of the land of Egypt, baptized unto Moses, going through the, Dead sea, or the Red Sea, and journeying to the Promised Land, and gathered around the Shekinah glory cloud. And so he saw this. He saw this people that were saved people. But you know what else he saw and heard? What did he, what did he hear? What would he have heard? That, complaining. Murmuring, griping, disputing. I mean, he's, he's visiting family and Moses just getting, he's just getting raked over the coals every day about something else. Well, the water you gave us yesterday, it's lukewarm. We don't like lukewarm water. You know, they were, they were never going to be happy regardless of what it was. So Hobab is watching this. He sees this. He goes, oh, are these supposed to be, these supposed to be, let's put it in these terms, these are supposed to be Christian people. Man, they act just like the rest of us. So Moses said to him, he said, we're journeying into the place of which the Lord said, I will give you. Come with us and we, we will uh, do thee good. For the Lord say, hath spoken good concerning Israel. And Hobab answered, uh, his answer was, was really, it was sad and sobering because he says, I will not go. And, and why did he refuse this invitation to make his, uh, his decision for Christ and join the ranks of God's redeemed people? Why would he refuse that? Maybe because of the complaining and disputing of the Israelites. He had seen their mixed testimony. It wasn't a simple testimony. It wasn't an unmixed. It wasn't a single-minded testimony. Man, they were double-minded. They wanted, they wanted the best from God, and, and boy, they wanted to, but they wanted to go back into sin, too. They wanted to go right back into Egypt. They were mixed in that. He couldn't deny that they'd been saved. He saw that. They'd been saved from, from Egypt and that slavery. But what he saw, he saw nothing in their behavior to make their lifestyle appealing to him. Folks, as believers... Our lifestyle, you know, people may laugh at it, mock it, mock it or whatever, but I'm going to tell you, a time will come in, in every lost person's life where they want truth. And man, if you've been, you've been that anchor of truth, you've been consistent, you've been humble, you're living, you're living above reproach, they may mock you today, but next week they might be calling you up and say, hey, hey, aren't you a Christian? Aren't you a Christian? You know, I, I, I got some problems I need to talk to you about. You know, that's who, you're, gonna, you're the one they're going to talk to. They're going to talk to the drunk, the drug addict. They're not going to talk to them wanting advice from them. They're going to seek you. But if you're living a life that is in question, they're going to, he's no different than the rest of us. 
He had seen better behavior among some of the unsaved that he was around. And if journeying to the promised land meant keeping company with the children of Israel, Hobab just wasn't interested in that. What a shame, amen? What a shame. Church, we must avoid repeating the sins of the Israelites. We are to show to, to a lost world that, it, that, uh, that a wonderful change has been wrought in our lives since Jesus came into our hearts. I almost want to sing that song there. Since Jesus came into my heart, since Jesus came into my heart, floods of joy o'er my soul like the sea billows roll. Since Jesus came into my heart. It ought to be different. It ought to be different. And uh, so we are because we are to shine as lights in the world. What is the result of this workout that we've been talking about? What's the result? Well, there's a twofold joy that comes to the person who possesses and practices this submissive mind. Paul's telling us this. Have this mind. Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. And we want to have this submissive mind. We're submitted to what God is doing in our lives as he works in so that we can work out our faith. And it's, it's a twofold joy. And the first is this. There's a joy, a joy um, hereafter. And we see that in verse 16. Paul says, holding fast the word of life, so, right here, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. There's going to be joy in eternity, folks. There's going to be joy when we're with the Lord. In the day of Christ, God is going to reward those who have been faithful to Him. The joy of the Lord is going to be a part of that reward. We see that in Matthew 25, 21. The joy of the Lord. And the faithful Christian will discover that his sufferings on earth have been transformed into glory in heaven. Nothing's wasted. God doesn't waste a thing. He doesn't waste a thing. We may waste it, but he doesn't waste a thing. And the things we go through in this life, when we submit it to the Lord and we let him work, it'll be any suffering, any pain, any heartache will be transformed into joy in the day of the Lord. There's also a joy here and now. There's a joy hereafter, but there's also a joy here and now, verse 17 and 18. Yes, and I, if I am being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice of service for your faith. And Paul's talking about, I may be, I'm going to be poured out. He knew, his, he, knew he was probably going to die soon. And I'm, I'm going to be poured out like a drink offering. There would have been wine and stuff that would have been poured on those offerings. It was an offering made, a sacrificial offering. If I'm being poured out as a drink offering, if I'm going to die in the service and sacrifice of your faith, I am glad and rejoice uh, with you all. For the same reason, you also be glad and rejoice with me. So we don't have to wait to the return of Christ to start enjoying this, having this joy in our life. Because when we have this submissive mind, there's joy that comes with that. That joy is a present reality, and it comes through sacrifice and through service. Man, it's two words that are hard for us sometimes. Sacrifice especially. You know, if I, if I can do things on my terms, that's, that's one thing. But to sacrifice to sacrifice things, whether it's our time or treasures or our health or whatever it is, as we sacrifice and as we serve God, as we do those things, there's joy that comes. Now, it's, re- it's remarkable that in two verses that discuss sacrifice, Paul used the words glad and rejoice. And glad, glad this is another word for like rejoicing. He was rejoicing and rejoice. Rejoicing and rejoice. Be filled with joy. 
Because there's joy in that. Paul said that. He, 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 he realized that right now, even though I may die soon, I'm rejoicing. I'm rejoicing God has used me. I'm rejoicing he's used me in your life, that you've come to faith. You're following him. You're serving him. You're sacrificing. You're serving. I've got joy in my heart. You can have joy in your heart as you do those things. Most people would associate sorrow with suffering, but Paul was, was, saw suffering and sacrifice as doorways to a deeper joy with Christ. Now, I mentioned last week, just briefly, and, and I'm just going to hit this again, but there's, there's three tools primarily that God uses to do this work in us so that we can work out. First was the Word of God. We've got to be in the Word of God. Get in the Word of God. Read it. Meditate on it. Memorize it. Study it out. Mine it out. Get in there deep. The Word of God. The other is prayer. You've got to be praying. You've got you to have a prayer life. You've got to be spending time with God. You've got to be talking to Him. You let him talk to, he talks to us through his word. We talk to him through prayer. And we can, he can talk to us through prayer if we'll be quiet long enough and listen. He'll speak to our hearts through the word of God and prayer. But the third thing he uses is suffering. We don't, we don't like that part. That's a hard thing. But folks, as we begin to wrap this up, Jim, and I think Avery are coming this morning. It takes faith to exercise the submissive mind. We, we're, if we don't have faith, if you're not really, really walking with the Lord, you're not trusting Him, you're, you're, if you don't have that, that faith, if you don't have faith, you're not going to have a strong faith. You've got to have faith in the Lord to exercise the submissive mind. We must believe that God's promises are true and that they're going to, to work in our lives just as they worked in Paul's life. God's promises are true. Everything that he said in this book is true. We can hold to that. Amen? So as, as things come along, see, look, God works in us through the word, through prayer and suffering, and we work out in daily living and service. God fulfills his purposes in us as we receive and believe his word. God works in, we work out. The example comes from Christ as we look to him, the example of the submissive mind, the submissive life. As we look to him as our example, then the energy, the power comes from the Holy Spirit of God. We go, well, you know, I, 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 because I can't do anything without the Holy Spirit giving me power. Anything that I do, if the Holy Spirit empowers it, then, then God is working behind that and it's going to be blessed. Amen? So the example comes from Christ. The energy, the power to do what God wants to do in us and through us comes from the Holy Spirit. And the result, folks, is joy. It's real joy. It's not, it's not temporary happiness. It's not a, a false sense of some type of joy, but it's real joy. When we live this submissive life, so we focus on Christ, and we, we just continue to think about that, single-minded, that, that leads to being submissive-minded. And then as we submit to God and He's working in our life, whatever's going on. You, you could have, you, you know... Um, a good friend of mine called me the other day. He said at one of the accounts at his office, they lost a big account. And that next day, he and his whole department were terminated. Just like that. No warning, no nothing. Just boom, you're gone. You're, you're out of here. And um, you know what? As, 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 he, as he talked, he wasn't fretting. He wasn't going, God, why would God let you know, I'm serving him. I'm a deacon. I'm this. I'm that. Why, why, would, why would God let that happen? No, he didn't say that. His response was, you know what? I've been down this road before, and God is always faithful. And he'll be faithful through this. 
You could be losing your job to losing a loved one. God's in control. God has a plan. Let Him work in you without complaining or disputing. Let Him work. Let Him grow you. Let Him mature you. As you become by, like Christ, man, we're, we get to go out in this world and be a witness for Him. A witness. Not a double-minded witness. A solid witness. A witness that's focused on Christ. Amen? That brings great joy. If you look around and you see, if you were to pick five people in our church and say, I think that person has real joy. You see it. You see joy in their life. I promise you, if you dug deeper, you'd find these things are going on in their life. Sacrifice and service. Submitted to God. Have that submitted mind. Trusting God. And just letting Him work in their life. And, 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 and becoming like Jesus so they can shine in the church, outside the church. Amen? I think that's the heart we'd all have, wouldn't it? I, I, want, I want to be used of the Lord. We've got some clear instruction on how we can be used of the Lord and how we can have great, great joy in our walk. If you'll stand with us, we're going we're gonna to have a song of, of, uh, of in, invitation here, a song of response. I invite you this morning, if... Uh, God's working in your heart this morning, and, and He may be working in your heart on something that has nothing to do with what I've, I've just talked about. That's the Word of God. When the Word of God goes forth, the Holy Spirit's working in you. You may have something that you need to just come down here to the altar. Share again. These aren't steps. They look like steps. They're not steps. Right now, this is an altar. This is a place for you to come. If God's working in you, maybe this morning is the time to just step out and respond. Move. Move in this time and respond to what God's doing. Just come down and have a talk with God. If you need to talk to somebody, maybe this morning you said, Pastor, you're talking about being a Christian, being saved, being born again. I really don't understand what that means, but I know I need that. If that's you this morning, just step out. Don't worry. There's nobody in here. They're not in here. Just ignore them. Step out and come down. And we'll take the scriptures. We'll open it up, present the gospel, and introduce you to Christ this morning. Don't leave here today without making sure you're right with God. If you're not born again, today's the day of salvation. You may not be promised another opportunity. You may never have another opportunity. Today's the day of salvation. Today's also a day of, of God's working. If He's working in your heart, respond to what that is right now. Father God, thank You for Your Word this morning. I pray we truly would be a people here at First Baptist Geneva that really are submitted, submitted to You, that, Lord, we'll, we'll, we'll embrace the things that are going on in our life without complaining, without disputing. Because when we do that, we're questioning you. Lord, we may talk to you about it. We can share a heart. You, you, you're not concerned about that. But as we share a heart with you, as we, Lord, just lean upon you, I pray you'll just continue to work in us, mold us, shape us, make us what you want us to be, Lord. So that we can live out our faith in a way that shines like stars to this world around us. That we can be, Lord, Lord, uh, um, uh, witnesses for you with, with a pure testimony, without, with, without reproach, without any mixed signals there, Lord. We want to do that. Help us to do that. So, Father, whatever it is you're doing this morning in each heart, I just pray that we'll, we'll just ignore folks around us and we'll step out and either come to this altar and pray or seek someone who can pray with us. Whatever the need is, God, I pray you'll move today and we'll be, obey that. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.